We're looking at another parable. We, uh, we're not done with Matthew 13, but we're trying to look at these parables as the Lord directs me on each one of them, uh, which one to preach on each time I'm preaching. And we're looking at Matthew 20. And I want to say from the start, after 48 years of uh, being a believer, I was saved when I was 18 years old. There's one uh, monster sin problem, self-problem that I have seen over and over again in myself and in others, and I'm talking particularly here about believers. Uh, There's plenty of it in the unbelievers' domain of living, but there's plenty of it in the Christian domain of living. There's plenty of it that I battle with in my own life. It's a monster. I call it the monster sin. The Goliath sin. Uh, defies to be defeated. Uh, And I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. And about the time you think you're spiritual, you may be self-righteous. This is the monster sin. Self-righteousness. We could preach for hours and hours and hours on this sin. Self-righteousness. I believe in this parable, the essence of this parable in Matthew 20 addresses this monster sin that the Lord knows not only that all believers in all time battle with, but the 12 apostles battle with it. It's right here in this chapter. We're talking about the, the ones that the Lord Jesus uh, trained and discipled to be delay the foundation of God's church. Listen, if the apostles were struggling with it, you know we're going to struggle with it. There is no temptation taken any man, but such as is common to every man. This is a common problem. It's an insidious problem because we don't normally think we have it. We don't normally recognize it. We don't know how it's coming out of us. And when self-righteousness is coming out of us, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. Wonder, how come I'm not close to God? How come God's not working? How come we're not seeing miracles? How come this? How come that? Well, I'm not saying self-righteousness is the only problem, but I'm saying it's an insidious, hidden type of a challenging problem we have inside of us. And unless the Holy Spirit supernaturally begins to teach us and show us, we're not going to see it. Uh, Now, uh, Matthew 20, it's very important to look at the context. It's very important to look at the context of any section of Scripture. I have never have seen it more important than than this section. If you just go to Matthew 20, I'm going to read the Scripture, by the way. Hang hang on. Uh, If you just go to chapter 20 of Matthew and try to understand the parable, you won't get it. You won't get it. You got to read what happened in chapter 19, and then you got to read what happens later on in chapter 20. This problem of self righteousness is so big, it began in chapter 19 with Peter, Peter the apostle. The Lord gave the parable for the reason of the self righteousness being made manifest in Peter the apostle, and then you would think it would all be done, uh, done and over with. But you read the rest of chapter 20, about the time the Lord's done here, and here comes 
uh, James and John and the mom. And what was their aspiration? Their aspiration was that one could be on the right and the other could be on the left. And the Lord made it crystal clear, by the way, if you want to be great, if you want God to do great things through you, you better be willing to drink the cup. You better understand what the cup is. There's no greatness without brokenness. I would say the opposite of self-righteousness is brokenness. We need constant brokenness of how utterly depraved we are, how utterly sinful we are, how utterly unreliable our heart inside of us is, how deceitful our heart inside of us is. Our heart is deceitful, and what else does it say? It's deceitful above what? All things, and what else? Desperately wicked. Listen, we got big-time problems inside of us. Big-time problems. It's easy for us to be deceived about ourselves. And we need to be broken before God. And if we don't humble ourselves before God, well, God will certainly bring things into our life that will humble us. And if we'll, we'll either get bitter about what he's brought into our life or we'll get better about it. If we don't get broken before God, we'll get bitter. And if we get bitter, we're bound up. And we're back to what I said about the 50th. We're not set free in, in the life of Christ because we're bound up with an unforgiving spirit. Sometimes we got bitterness towards God. Sometimes we've got bitterness towards people. But a lot of it goes back to self-righteousness because in the end of chapter 20, when James and John was showing such attitudes and dispositions, the rest of the apostles were moved with indignation. We got all kind of division, all kind of strife, all kind of jealousy, all kind of competition going on among the apostles. Listen, if it goes on among the apostles, don't you think we're vulnerable? This is a killer sin. It's a killer sin. Coronavirus is a killer virus. This is a killer sin. It will grieve the life out of any congregation. It will quench the power of God in any family. Self-righteousness. And the reason why it's such a big-time problem is we're making progress with God, and so we think we're spiritual. And so then we become, we don't realize that if there's anything spiritual about us, it's got to be God. It's got to be God. Years ago, when I got saved when I was 18 years old, I memorized Titus 3.5. And this is, if you want to overcome self-righteousness, it'd be good to memorize this verse and meditate on it. Pray your way through it. God's brought it back to my mind 20 times in the last two weeks. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Self-righteousness is thinking that you have done something. And if you think you have done something, you think you are worthy of something. And if some blessing doesn't come your way because you think you are worthy of something, you get angry. You get bitter. Most of the problems with anger is all about self-righteousness. I've got a right. I've got a right to be treated a certain way. And if I'm not treated a certain way, I get angry. Well, it's because I think I'm such a good person. I need to be treated a certain way. Listen, if we got what we deserve, where in the world would we be for all eternity? 
we got nothing to be boasting about other than the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing, absolutely nothing to boast about. We've got to bow before the cross in brokenness, recognizing our utter sinfulness, our utter depravity. No good thing, like I used to say, no good thing can come out of Nazareth. No good thing can come out of us. Nothing good can come out of us. The Bible says there is none good, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. No, not one. If we don't bow before him in brokenness, I'm talking about continually. I'm not just talking about when we have a special retreat and God works in special ways. I'm talking about continual brokenness. It's the lifeblood of any fellowship of believers. Brokenness before God. It's the lifeblood of a family. Brokenness before God. Instead of self-righteousness. Now let's read this scripture, Matthew 20. And you know what? I may have to preach two sermons on this. I can't even read the scripture on it yet. Matthew 20. The kingdom of heaven is like a man... That is a householder. The householder here represents God. He went out early in the morning, which is probably around 6 a.m., to hire laborers into his vineyard. The laborers here are we people, and I believe, based on the context of what's going on with Peter and the other apostles, I believe he's specifically addressing the problem with believers. There's other scriptures that addresses the problem of self-righteousness with unbelievers, I believe this one is addressing the problem with believers because of the context. And so he came to the first group, and the first group here is the ones who have the self-righteousness. Now, if you go back to verse 30 of chapter 19, okay? You see the phrase in uh, verse 30 of chapter 19? Many that think they're first, they're, they're so spiritual... They're so far ahead of everybody else. You know, come on, everybody. Catch up with me. <laughs> I'm so far ahead of you. You know, looking down. Oh, it's so good. I'm so glad God brought you into my life so I can help you, you poor soul, you. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Many that think they are first. He's talking to Peter here because Peter said, Peter uh, said, Lord, he just thought, in chapter 19, he just got finished talking with the rich young ruler. He told the rich young ruler, go sell all. Go sell everything. And he wasn't willing to do it. And then Peter said, Lord, we have left all. We have left all. We're talking about spiritual people here that have left everything. We have forsaken all. And then he said, Lord, what's in it for us? He was focused on, because of his giving, listen, we don't give anything to God other than what already belongs to him. Amen. We don't give anything to God other than what already belongs to him. We, we feel so proud of ourselves when we give something to God. It already belongs to him. It already belongs to him, everything. It already belongs to him. There's no, there's no need to be self-righteous about it. Because I'm so spiritual that I gave something to God. It already was his. I'm just giving back to him. I'm just repenting of my sin. That's what's happening. I'm repenting of my uh, ego. of being. I, want to, I don't want the kingdom of God to be functioning. I want the kingdom of self to operate. 
That's the big problem. The kingdom of self is a big problem. The kingdom of God is not going to be able to function. And these parables, every one of these parables, the reason why I'm parked on it is God's kingdom is A-OK right now. Man's kingdoms are crumbling. As a matter of fact, the foundations, I was thinking about this week, man himself is taking the foundations away. Taking the foundations away. Exactly what Jesus said. He said, listen, if all you got is sand, if all you got is sand that you're building on, what's going to happen to your house? It's the end of a nation when you take away the foundations. It's the end of a family when you take away the foundations. But I want to tell you right now, man's kingdoms are crumbling, God's kingdom is moving forward. Don't be discouraged. Don't be despondent. Don't be insecure. Lift up your eyes to heaven. Uh, pray, God, you told us to pray. Your kingdom come. He's not just talking about the millennial kingdom when he said we're to pray that way. We're to be praying that God's kingdom would be moving and set up in our family life, our church life, our job site. The kingdom can come where believers live and operate. The powers of darkness do not have the upper hand. The Lord Jesus Christ has already won the victory over the powers of darkness. And we pray with faith in tangible ways that God's kingdom would come. Listen, God's will, God's going to have the final say. His king, in his kingdom, he's the king. And everything that the king does in his kingdom, he has the final say about it. It doesn't matter what's happening in a man's kingdoms. There's a verse over in Psalm 76 that says, Surely the wrath of man will praise God, but if it doesn't praise God, God will restrain the wrath of man. God has the final say. Don't think God's not in charge of what's going on in this world. God's using every bit of it to bring God's people, his people, to a place of brokenness so the power of his kingdom can be unleashed in the world. Listen, these are great days in which to live. We all should be saying amen. I'm saying it by faith. I'm saying it by faith. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's not challenging. I'm telling you, these are exciting days to live. Because God knows what he's up to. And he wouldn't have allowed this to happen if he didn't have multiple purposes of what he wants to supernaturally do in your life personally, your family, and in this world. So, this first group... In verse 30, he said to Peter, Peter, pay attention, man. Pay attention. Now, I'm sure the Lord didn't use the words I'm using. But paraphrasing, he said, look, Peter, think about it. Examine your attitude. Examine your motive. Examine your heart. Because it's quite possible on Judgment Day. It's quite possible on Judgment Day that many who think they are first, what does he say? On Judgment Day. Many who think they are first will find out they are really last. Now we're just talking about all, all being believers. But we're talking about, I think I'm so far ahead of somebody else. And I find out uh, I'm not as far ahead of them as I thought I was. I'm, I'm full of myself here in, in my spiritual journey with God. So the first group was the uh, same as Peter. 
In verse 2, they wanted a contractual relationship with the householder. They wanted to know what he would pay them. They wanted a contractual relationship with the householder. And, and whenever you operate on the basis of legalism with God, it will lead to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. If you've done something and you think you did something and you're worthy to be paid for it, there won't be any thanks about it. Now, the Bible says that our whole Christian life is in everything give what? We should be running over with thanks, running over. You say, well, I'm, hey, I went and worked 40 hours this week. I don't have to thank God for that. I worked. I deserve it. I've earned it. What is that? Self-righteousness. Anytime, listen, if I got fired, it comes no, I mean, I'm not, not only did I not get paid, if I got fired, I, it comes nowhere near what I deserve that God knows is going on in my life and where I should be separated from him. Amen? I have to look at my heart attitude, not what do people think of me or not what I think about people. What does God think about me? What does God see? What's going on in my heart before God? Am I really just concerned about impressing people and having favor with people and gaining something from people? I'm telling you, the fear of man brings a snare. You're in bondage when your whole life wraps around what people think of you, what people say about you. Well, is they, are they pleased with me? Are they satisfied with me? Listen, you're in bondage. The fear of man brings a snare. It keeps you tied up in knots. And if you haven't figured it out, you can't please people. It's impossible. Now, the first group wanted a contractual relationship. That's legalism. The Bible's full of warnings about legalism and what it leads to. And at the primary heart and root of the sin is self-righteousness. The rest of the people, the people in 9 o'clock hour, 12 o'clock noon, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and then the 11th hour, 11th hour, the rest of the people, the householder, they made an agreement with the householder not on a legal basis. They made an agreement with the householder on a relational basis. Oh, how sweet it is. Oh, how wonderful it is. To have a relationship with my God. What a tragedy to get things done, to go to work, to get paid to get things done and not know God all through the day, not walk with God all through the day, not have fellowship with God all through the day. The most important priority of life is knowing God, walking with God, having fellowship with God. I mean, if all we're doing is getting things done and producing things, and building bigger and better mansions and bigger and better uh, barns and all this, that, and the other. We're leaving it all behind one day. It's all staying behind one day. There's got to be something more to life than material things, earthly things. It's, it grieves you. It just, it's like tentacles. If your life's about material things, it's like tentacles around you. It squeezes out the real eternal treasures of 
a personal relationship with God and knowing him and the unsearchable riches of knowing him through Jesus Christ, his son. There's nothing in this world, no material things in this world that can compare with the unsearchable riches of Christ, our Lord, and knowing God, our Father, through Christ, our Lord, and through the supernatural enabling of the Holy Spirit. There's no greater treasure in life. And so, what did the master say here, the householder? He said, go to work, and, he, and he's repeated the phrase to all these others, whatever is right. Notice the first group wanted a contractual, I want to be paid, I, I want to make sure you're going to give me what I deserve. The rest of them, the householder said, Go your way and work, and whatever is right, what did he say? I'll give it to you. Now, let me cut to the chase here. The first shall be last is mentioned at the end of this parable. It's mentioned with Peter, and then he gives the parable, and then he talks about the first shall be last again at the end of this parable. So the Lord is teaching the same. He's, he's addressing what was in the heart of Peter. He's trying to get Peter to see what's in his heart. Now, it's very interesting when the householder began to recompense the workers. Did he start with the first workers or did he start with the last workers? He started with the last workers. Now, remember, the whole principle here we're trying to understand is the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The first group thought they were first. But God made sure... They were last. He purposely made sure they were last so they could see what was in their heart. He could have started with the first group. He could have paid them the denarius that they agreed to. They would have walked away and said, hey, man, full day work, full day pay. Everything's peaches and cream. Walked away, and there would have been none of the murmuring that takes place here. If he had started with the first group, because after all, they got what they deserve but when he went to the 11th hour group and the 11th hour group got the same pay that uh, I'm sorry they got the same pay that the first group got the first group and this is part of self-righteousness here expectations I've said it for years I'm going to keep on saying it expectations of other people to do for you what only God can do for you destroys your relationship with other people. That's one thing. But we have expectations of God. We have expectations of God. And that psalm says, My soul, wait thou only upon God. My expectation is from Him. I need to give all my expectations about people and all my expectations about God to Him. Period. I need to give all my expectations. Because God knows better than I do what I need. Amen. I come to him thinking, I think I know what I need. God said, man, you just want one-tenth of the 10,000 million I can give you. You're not even, you don't even have the right perspective on it. You say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm saying when the 11th hour workers were, were paid, you know what the first hour workers were thinking? If they got a denarius and they only work one hour, guess what's going to happen when it gets to us? Self-righteousness. If you've got a self-righteous attitude, self-righteous motive, self-righteous intent, 
It's not going to go away. It's going to be compounded. And so they're thinking, man, when he gets to us, if they got one denarius for one hour, we work 12 hours. How many denarius are we going to get? Man, we're going to get 12, 12 denarius. And when he got to them, what did they get? They got the same thing the others got. So comparison, one thing here is expectations. Expectations are a big problem. We've got to give all our expectations to God, otherwise there will be self-righteousness. Secondly, comparison. Comparison. If the first group had got paid first and went their way, everything would have been hunky-dory. No problem. We got what we are worthy of in our self-righteous uh, legal agreement here. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't have any knowledge on what the other people got paid. There would have been no comparison. But I'm going to tell you, this is why I keep making a big noise about the fear of man. What gets us in trouble is comparing ourselves one to another. It gets us in big-time trouble. Big-time self-righteous trouble. I want to read, uh, I think it's in, uh, it's either in 1 Corinthians 4 or 2 Corinthians 4. Let me just read this verse real quick if I can find it. It talks about comparing yourselves with other people. And, and Paul says, please, please, please. That if you think you're wise by comparing yourself with somebody else, you got it all wrong. It's foolishness. 2 Corinthians, let me see if I can find it. Here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He uses the terminology, we dare not do this. Don't, it's kind of like, don't ever think this way. You know how it says, shall we continue in sin that God's grace may abound? God forbid. He's saying the same thing here. He's saying, the moment you start comparing yourself to somebody else to see how you're doing in life, God forbid. Don't compare yourself with others to judge how you're doing with God. God forbid. Because you're either going to find somebody that you're better than, or you're going to find somebody that you're lower than. Now, I can never measure up to what they are, right? Or they, uh, they're so far above me, I can never be that. Or I'm so far above them, you know, God help these poor creatures that ain't going as far as I've gone. It's, it's just a trap. It's a trap. Listen, the only acceptance we have with God, the only righteousness that makes us acceptable to God is the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Don't ever think that you gain acceptance with God by the impression you're making on other people or the impression you're making on God himself. God does not, God is debtor to no man in the universe. God does not owe any man in the universe. He's not in debt to us because we are worthy of his blessing. The people that get help from God, and I'm talking about especially with the home and family. I, I noticed this in the Gospels. The people that get help from God, especially in the home and family, but it's, 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 it's universal principle, are the people that don't come to and say, I'm worthy of you to do this. I'm worthy of you to do this. You've got to bless me. You know how spiritual I've been, and so forth and so on. No, the people that get help from God is, have mercy. Have mercy upon me. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. 
You don't even need to hear this cry. There's nothing in me that would necessitate you having to hear this cry at all other than your son's righteousness, your son's name, your son's salvation. That's why we've got to pray our prayers in his name, Christ's name, Christ's righteousness. And we listen, when we come to God boldly, we come to a throne of grace, which means we don't deserve anything. God's unmerited favor type thing. We come to a throne of grace, but it also says we come there to find what in our time of need? Mercy. If we come to his throne and we're not saying, God, thank you for your grace, and we come to his throne and we're not crying out for mercy, there must be some smidgen of self-righteousness going on. There must be something in there. So there's a lot more I could say here. may have to preach another message on it. I'm telling you, there's a lot here. There's a lot in the Bible about this. We're just scratching the surface. This is a monster. It's a monster. It's like a Goliath that says, no way you'll defeat me. No way you'll overcome me. Unless we get broken before God and say, God, would you show me the reason why the Lord... God, the householder made sure he started with the last group and then down to the first is because by the time he got down to the first group, what was really in their heart was revealed. Amen? That's why he started. That's, the, that's why he followed the order he followed. All right, let's pray together. Father, I was praying this morning about how self-righteous you can be when you're praying. I'm thinking just now how self-righteous you can be when you're preaching. Lord, it's a big-time problem, big-time problem, big-time problem. And you're the only one that can deliver us from it. And you're the only one that can show it to us. And it's a wonderful day in our life when we are broken before you. What in our hands do we bring? It's simply to the cross of your Son we cling. There's nothing we offer up to you that makes us worthy of any blessing in our life. So, Lord, I pray you'd bring us all to a place of brokenness, truly, sincerity, authentically. I pray you'd not just bring us there when we have a retreat time. I pray you'd bring us there all the time. Brokenness before you. Brokenness before you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.